0: hello and welcome to who books that with harrison greenbaum i'm your host harrison greenbaum and thanks so much for joining us this is the first episode of 2021 uh thanks so much um for all of your support as always this is presented by the international brotherhood of magicians and if you'd like to join the international brotherhood of magicians or you'd like to renew your membership, make sure you go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. This show is every Wednesday at 7 PM Eastern, 4 PM Pacific. It's also available as a podcast on Apple music, uh, Google play, anywhere you get your podcast. So check out who books com to watch past episodes and for direct links to the podcast, any reviews that you put up are greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, Five star reviews. If you can, Um, It makes the podcast uh, more visible, spreads the word of the IBM. Uh, And thanks to you, uh, this podcast is in the top 100 performing arts podcasts now in 10 countries around the world. Japan, Denmark, Sweden, the United States, the UK, Australia, um, Ireland. It's in the top uh, 10 or 20. Um, So thank you guys so much for all of your support. Uh, It's amazing. And you can follow me at Harrison Comedy on Twitter and Instagram at Harrison Comedy. Uh, It's been a very eventful uh, period between the last episode, which was back in December, and this episode. um, I got engaged, which is pretty exciting. My fiance, uh, as always, is still trapped in this bedroom um, where she will remain the whole show, Um, but she's there and now she has a ring on it. Um, Also, (laughs) I I received a presidential citation from the International Brotherhood of Magicians, um, which is pretty exciting. Thank, Thank you for this, this is pretty cool. Um, I'm not going to redo the whole thing, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So thank you so much for sending this out. Greatly appreciated. Totally not necessary, but definitely uh, going on the wall. So that's pretty cool. Um, but we have an incredible, incredible episode for you. Uh, I am so excited uh, for this guest. Um, if, if you took if you went back in time and uh, asked the 12-year-old Harrison, who was on his Mount Rushmore of comedy magic, there would be the usual suspects. Penn and Teller, Matt King, Amazing Jonathan, uh, all who have been guests on the show. Um, But uh, the person that I think I most wanted to emulate uh, was a counselor at Magic Camp. His name was, uh, was and is, Adam Rubin. And uh, I I remember watching him uh, as a camper and just thinking that if I could ever make an audience laugh that hard doing magic, um, that would be the dream. And he's somebody I've always looked up to. And then when I became a counselor myself at Magic Camp, um, it was unbelievable to to co-counsel with him. Um, I took his comedy workshop. When I was a camper and uh since Magic Camp, he has done so many incredible things. Uh he's done his own work, uh Five and a Half Tricks in a Basement, which became six tricks in a basement at the Annoyance Theater. He's consulted with such incredible magicians as Derek Zelgadio and David Blaine, and he's a best-selling children's author. Uh, many of his books have been on the New York Times bestseller list, including Dragons, Love Tacos, uh High Five, his latest book, uh Robo Sauce. Uh, and he's just done inc- so many incredible things. He also uh works at Art of Play, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, Just a a true Renaissance man, incredibly talented, and I could not be more excited to bring him onto the show. So make some noise, get excited from your own apartment or home. It's Adam Rubin, everybody. How you doing? Woo! (laughs) We have people already excited to see you. Rob says, I love Adam, which is great. We have people tuning in from Australia. Um, I am so, so pumped to have you on the show. Uh, how you doing?
1: Doing all right. Uh, thanks for having me. This is the most exciting thing that's happened in my life for, for several months. So (laughs) I I appreciate the invitation and it's just nice to talk to, to, it's just nice to talk to someone really.
0: (laughs) Um, there's so much ground to cover. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, born in Rockland County in New York, right outside of New York city. Um, This is the earliest photo that I could find. Uh, This is a baby Reuben. There we go, and uh, a slightly slightly to older Ruben.
1: I'm gonna try not to be creeped out that you have found these photos.
0: <laughs> That's right. Although this photo, I really feel like you're the lost cast member on Saved by the Bell. This is a pretty epic outfit.
1: I still have that shirt, actually.
0: Really? Does do one of your
1: legs fit? That's it <laughs> Yeah, it's a. <laughs> it's a. Uh, uh,
0: well, I guess. How did you get into magic? And uh, because also, obviously, you're such a strong comedy component in everything you do. What were your like early comedy influences?
1: The Far Side, Weird Al, um, Calvin and Hobbes. I think The Far Side taught me more about life and just like how the world works than anything else. Just one panel a day from the time I was, you know, seven years old to <laughs> college. I just I looked at it every single day and uh, that affected my worldview quite drastically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you also had your own cartoon, right? The, I think it was called Cluck Ups. How the fuck did you know that? <laughs> doing my research. Was that, that very far side esque Was it like single panel?
1: Is that on the internet? Wow.
0: You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I dug for a very long time trying to find an example of a Cluck-ups uh, panel. I, I have not found a single, gonna, a single no. example.
1: You're going to have to look for the Ram's horn from Clarkstown High School North, which was the newspaper. I don't know. It was probably weekly. It might have been monthly. Who knows? Good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it was a it was a three-panel actually it was a multi-panel, uh. And and it, it's funny how I haven't really progressed too much since then because the next book I have coming out is about a chicken, and it's dedicated to Gary Larson, but by no coincidence.
0: Oh, that's amazing! And uh, in, uh at what point did you get to magic camp? How old were you uh
1: when you when you first went? My first experience with magic. Uh, like wanting to learn magic was a kid showed me Matrix, <laughs> like the old school Al Schneider version with buttons and cards, and it was it it just like short circuited something in my brain where I was like, whoa, I there's parts the world works in ways I don't understand. I need to reconcile this, quick. Uh, and and what's happening in this photo, by the way? This is my first time on stage. That I, as far as I know and as far as my parents can remember, this is the first time I was ever on stage and I crushed and it was ever <laughs> since. And the joke that I told, I, I have no recollection of this at all, but my, it was a family story for years. The joke I told, this was at a club med. I was a child and they wanted kids to come up and tell jokes. And the joke I told was, what do you call Batman and Robin when they've been run, after they've been run over by a steamroller? Flat Man and Ribbon. And, uh, nice. you know, in the 80s, that was gold. So I think you're also dressed as Iron Fist. I think uh, I think it might have been a uh, a Batman shirt. Maybe that's where I got the idea for the joke. Oh,
0: nice. And were you always uh, comedically inclined? Was were, Did you have any serious Jeff McBride phase or was it all comedy from the beginning?
1: It's a great question. I don't think I ever... Attempted to take myself seriously. This is the camp where I saw that Matrix. And at that camp, it just so happened there was an excellent magic teacher named Brad Henderson. And uh with this Island Lake? Yeah. That I
0: went to Island Lake too.
1: Yeah, we've had this conversation three yes. or four times where each time we're like, <laughs> You went there? What? <laughs> we just know? miss each other. Um
0: Two close in age Jews doing comedy magic, just barely missing each other at each point. What are the odds?
1: Yeah. So did you teach, did you did you learn with Brad too? Did you take classes with Brad?
0: Oh yeah, there was the magic shack. There yeah. was that that wooden shack with like two rooms, you know and you either did, I either was doing magic or I was on a horse because they had an equestrian uh, track as well. Well,
1: I didn't I didn't ever indulge with the the stable activities, but uh, you know who else taught there for a time was Brian. Um, Shit, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ever really get to know him, but he's quite popular on YouTube now. Uh, Brian Brushwood. That's it. Yeah, Brian Brushwood. Yeah, he was there. He was a teacher there. Yeah.
0: And this is, I think, this is Magic Camp, or we're getting
1: closer to Magic Camp. Yeah, okay, so this is the SYM. By the ah. way, is of any interest to anyone? It's like <laughs> absolutely obscure. Okay, so <laughs> this was. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure, my first time performing magic on stage. Uh, yes, yes, my first time performing magic on stage, because the first time I, I learned at Island Lake, I didn't, I didn't know enough to perform for anybody. And in the school year, uh, in between summer camp, there was an SYM in, in uh, Stamford, Connecticut, and Ryan Oaks was at that SYM. Though he was like a legendary figure that came just a little bit before me. They were always talking about how great Ryan Oakes was. And the, guy, the thing was around the ring. The SYM group was run by a man named Bill Andrews, who was this just this totally debonair, shock of white hair, always wore shiny patent leather, like pointy boots. Anyway, uh, that was my first time on stage. I was performing a trick from the very first magic book I ever read, which was Mark Wilson's Cyclopedia of Magic. This is the kind of cube-shaped edition. The tiny one. It was the tiny one, yeah, thick. Yeah. Tiny. tiny, tiny. Right. They're
0: like it's pocket size because it's this big, but it's also right. this thick.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I gave that book to somebody. I lent it to somebody in Chicago during my improv days. Some comedian. I was sure I'd get it back, but, but it's gone forever now. And it's, I'm sure it says my name in like Child <laughs> in the front cover. And they're hopefully, they're feeling guilty if they ever see this this episode. Uh, Anyway, it was a great trick, and it was an egg production where you show a handkerchief and you show both sides, you fold it into quarters, and you pour an egg into the glass. You pour the egg into a basket, and then you you can repeat it ad nauseum, and I did. Uh, And I learned how to blow eggs. Actually, one of the greatest lessons Brad Henderson ever taught me is I showed up that summer after I had performed at the SYM. I was, as you can see, wearing my mother's blazer in that photo. (laughs) Look how sh- – I'm that small that my mother's blazer is down to – though it could have been like an 80s, I don't know, cabaret sort of long blazer. I'm not sure. Anyway, best lesson, Brad Henderson, and there's many that he's taught me. I go to camp. I show him my Mark Wilson uh, egg trick, and uh, he's like, all right, well cool. Let's – you know, we can go out and prepare some eggs. And uh, yeah, I poke the little hole, and I start sucking the yolk out of the egg to hollow out the egg, and he goes, you know you can blow eggs too, right? <laughs> if you made two, holes. a lot more eggs, by the way. Yeah, if I you had eggs, I guess. I guess I had this thing <laughs> with eggs for a while. This was the theme act, which, as you know, as a child of the 80s that was interested in magic, it was very important that your act had a theme. That's great. Right. And then you had an act, right? You had to have an act that you could do it. Everybody had
0: like the same thing. four tricks, but like one person was Spider Man, right. one person right. was a chef, uh, Sisher was, uh, was a dentist. dentist.
1: Yep. Yeah, and you had to be able to as long as you could perform it in in front of a very large table, in a group uh with a group of people in a narrow room, you were good to go.
0: And uh, we have a couple of extra bonus magic photos. There's Hiawatha, and that's with. By the way,
1: speaking of Mark Sistre, that's the Dude Award. That's right. That's the Dude Award named in honor of Mark Nathan Sistre. That was a that was like pretty impactful for me. Um, my second year of magic camp that I won the Dude Award, and it felt like. A bunch of people I respected were saying, hey, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And that was a big encouragement for me.
0: I always felt the same way. I felt like uh, I only found this out later. But when I decided I was going to be a comedian, I just graduated college. I told every counselor I'm going to be a comedian. And I I found out that everybody had harbored a lot of fear. They were like, I don't know if this is going to work out, especially based on what we've seen thus far. I don't know if you're going to (laughs) survive And then between that year and the year after, I did over seven hundred shows, and that was the first time I ever got a standing ovation at camp, and that was like a seminal moment for me because I was like, okay, if these people like what I'm doing. I might be on the right track. I might have a even a, a remote chance at this thing.
1: It is. It is a. It's a group that's like, extremely welcoming because they know you and they've known you since you were a kid. Some of them, and also, uh, extremely encouraging, in that. They will remember your best moments and your worst moments too. hey, there's Rob Yeah. <laughs> Brian Curry Rick lack Rick not black what was Rick's lax no, that's a different guy Rick um Wayne, Ricky Wayne, but his real name was Rick, something else and there's I on the right Mel bomb's coming on <laughs> at some point later um, <laughs> yeah, wow, is that Danielle? no, no, not that not Danielle No, no. That was, uh, I think, Jesse. Jesse, that's right, yeah. Wow, and uh, and that's Kimi. Kimi Naughton. Yeah, Naughton, Naughton. Here's another throwback. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Hey, that's Ben Pratt, too, in the background. I don't know the guy. Yeah. The, the old campus.
0: Uh, but let's skip <laughs> around, because we have a lot of ground to cover. Right. Um, you go to college in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, yeah. And before we, uh, sort of in the pre-interview, we talked about uh, one of the jobs you had at college is a sandwich delivery guy, and you said it was very impactful. So I'd love for you to share that.
1: Yeah, in in, <laughs> I was a sandwich delivery guy. I delivered pizzas and I delivered sandwiches. The pizza job was pretty standard. Like, you, somebody calls, you bring the pizza. When you're not delivering, you fold up a bunch of pizza boxes, eat raw mozzarella out of the tray. <laughs> but the sandwich job was you a lot. Make better. this face when you did it. Wow, mustache. So you just basically- I just wanted
0: to put one photo. I just wanted there to be just some evidence of the, the mustachioed out of
1: everyone. Probably, that mustache probably existed for the length of time it took to take that photo. <laughs> I have tried the mustache several times in my life and it never gets a good response. In fact, uh, the last time I tried it was, I guess it was like November or something. Like however many, I was still working in an ad agency and I came in with the mustache- and I just, I guess I kept it like after November. So I was like, oh, maybe it'll work for me. And uh, just one of the ladies that worked with me was just like, you gotta, you gotta shave that off. It's making everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I'm convinced that anybody who ever has like a full beard and needs to shave it down at some point shaves it so they can just like for a brief second do the Hitler. Just like for the Charlie Chaplin, let's call it.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: For one second, and I was using electric clippers. so My biggest nightmare was I would get to that phase, the razor, the no, clippers would die, and I
1: would. Stuck would with it. I think you would look pretty spiffy with a mustache, actually. Have you ever tried it? Like a like a long one, like a full handlebar, or just straight mustache? Me, I don't know. Ask your fiance which would be most acceptable. <laughs> but I do think you could pull it off. I think you've got the face for it
0: we'll see i when i when i shaved the last time i shaved down the beard which was years ago i did the mark marin just to see where it's this with a little bit of this and it wasn't it wasn't terrible what's mark marin oh
1: right just like,
0: a like a little a little goatee action going on
1: right um yeah back to this thrilling sandwich story so i <laughs> uh, i this was the job basically they said um okay at the beginning of the day come to this deli it was a, a sort of fancy deli like gourmet deli it was called uh it was called drop by gourmet actually and they didn't have any place to sit so you, it was all takeaway that's why it was called drop by gourmet and the woman that ran it she was brilliant and she said look you drop by here we'll drop by there and instead of doing delivery they did basically sandwich peddling so at the beginning of the day me and my friend and this like 35 year old um hardcore fish fan that was <laughs> that didn't really that, like wouldn't <laughs> You would never guess he was going to fish shows on the weekend. He seemed like a military guy. Anyway, he had had this job for a long, long time. And we'd come in in the summers and be uh, fucking around and, and <laughs> having a good time. He, he didn't like that so much. Anyway, you show up in the morning to give you a basket of sandwiches, a cooler full of salads. And they say, OK, see you later. And your job was to go and find places to sell it, which was mostly office buildings, doctor's offices, uh, nail salons, Um even like some schools, you would go to the office and they would come by and basically anywhere where a lot of people work, maybe they didn't have time to get out for lunch. And I had to learn a lot about kind of uh, you know, presenting things to people and establishing trust with people and that you're gonna come back at this time because they're they're not gonna bring their lunch, right? If you, you come back tomorrow at that same time, I'm not, okay, I'll be here, you know? All that sort of stuff, and just basically talking to adults, really schmoozing with adults while they decide whether they want a Italian combo or a the spa, which was on dark bread with some avocados, a vegetarian, <laughs> uh, or a chicken francesca sandwich. Was another one that was a good one. But yeah, I, I, I always so there's something about that walking in, having the balls to like walk into a building, say hi. You don't know me. I'm not supposed to be here. I have sandwiches would you tell everybody in the building, please, that I'm here and they would just come. Get... And so that that like interaction was really inter- interesting to go through that at such a low stakes and so many times per day. It, it, it definitely helped me later in my career.
0: And there was, a, I remember uh, you telling us, that you had like a sort of legendary gag uh, when you were doing your restaurant walk around because uh, every time you do restaurant walk around, people are always like, can you make my wife disappear? Can you make the bill disappear? Um, can you tell us a little bit about restaurant magic and what your approach was to uh, to getting those hack lines from the audience?
1: You're talking about the clicker? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is not my idea. I can't remember who I got it from. Uh, I did a lot of restaurant magic, a lot of walk around magic. I loved doing restaurant magic. I guess it was that cold open that I sort, I sort of enjoyed walk around and that you would go And especially in a restaurant, they're just sitting there anyway. I worked at TGI Friday's and Dave & Buster's. These were not the fanciest places in the world. People were there to have a good time. They were like uh, waiting. They had nothing else to do. And so they were happy to see magic tricks. And every so often, probably more than I remember, because I mostly remember the good parts, people would say stuff like, can you make my wife disappear? Can you make my bill disappear? Or can you make my check disappear? That was probably the most frequent one. And I had uh, like the counters you have for counting kids at camp. Just one of those analog counters i had it on a janitor's keychain pole so i would reach inside my vest or my i didn't wear a vest <laughs> inside my jacket i like i don't know why i said that i never worn a vest in my life uh there's no photo evidence of that i would cl- they would say can you make the check disappear and i would click the, the counter and it would go up to 252 or whatever and then i would let it go and it goes zip and fly back in my coat and i didn't have to say anything it just sort of indicated the fact that the comment was, uh, something I'd heard before.
0: No, it's amazing. I love it. Um, and not while we're talking about comedy background, you went from St. Louis to Chicago and was that fully motivated, uh, by job or was that also cause it was, had a great comedy scene.
1: I, it was both. I wanted to work in advertising because I thought it seemed like the most fun way to get paid money consistently. And, I wanted to learn comedy because I just loved, I just loved uh, performing so much. And in college I had sort of distanced myself from the magic a little bit and focused on the comedy and done more performing. This is a photo of hilarious guy, Otis fine in Chicago. He's an actor. He's been in some Batman movies and other things. He's one of those guys that I just feel like he's going to be famous maybe later in life, but. So funny! Such a great dramatic actor too.
0: There's that a couple was- of
1: you with some currently famous uh, sketch people as well. Jeez, you're going deep here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think this is whose wedding is this? I don't know. So many of the people that I used to hang out with in Chicago have gone on to fame and fortune, and I keep in touch with some of them. And some of them, I, I wish them well. I don't hear from. I don't talk to them as much as I'd like to, but it's. It's pretty incredible how, for the most part, when you're in a basement somewhere, or like in some terrible comedy club, or some like back of a restaurant, and somebody goes up on stage, and they, you can kind of tell even then that they're gonna be they're gonna go on to something great. Speaking of basements,
0: yeah, I'm trying to find a basement picture to illustrate yeah. the point. And also, it's a, it's you in a basement causing fire, which is always the safest route in a this tiny
1: basement. My favorite place to perform in the history of the world. I I don't know how many shows I did there over several years I had a show every month in this basement. First it was five and a half magic tricks in a the basement. And then I added this ring trick that I really liked. So I had to change the number to six and kind of round down the one that was a half. Regardless, it was so fun. Uh, and it was it was kind of the trial by fire, no pun intended, where I took a lot of ideas I had been working on for a while and and really kind of developed them into performance ready routines.
0: And was there a goal with that show? Like, because I, I feel like you you have your hand in so many different pots: the author pot, the consulting pot, the the con, the collaborating on the art of play stuff. Is there a goal to get the performance stuff out there to turn it like a, a special?
1: I don't think no. I, I have no interest in recording this stuff. In fact, there's you may have noticed in your deep dive, there is no footage of me performing <laughs> that material because the thing that I love about magic. Actually, this trick disappeared from five magic tricks to six and a half magic tricks. Ah, <laughs> I, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but I did. That was I heard that was how Leipzig used to do it on stage with two people. He would do the hundred dollar bill change on stage, and he would have two audience members hold his wrists, so he would do it in these huge, huge theaters, and it, nobody could even see the bill was changing. But uh, I don't know what's going on there. Something incredible, obviously. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the reason that, the reason that I, I, I want to perform Magic Live is because it's such a special and unique experience for an audience. And I happen to have enough knowledge and experience in this arcane, like, genre of whatever the hell it is to create this moment of total astonishment where you feel like what you're seeing is, is impossible and that, and it's right there in front of you and you can smell the fire and you can <laughs> see the sweat. Like it, 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 it's, there's nothing quite like live performance. And I think the drop off between any recording or any other sort of version of magic is so precipitous. Even live comedy is the same way, but like you can walk, watch a comedy special and still get a, a good chunk of that entertainment value. But with magic, every layer just, it fades exponentially, the impact for me. So that's what I am focused on is performing magic live. And I love it and I have so much fun and I want it to be excellent. You know, I aspire to the levels of of Harry Anderson and Mack King and Tom Mullica, these guys that were funny, 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 but also the magic was impenetrable nobody's going oh it's ha it's uh he's he's so funny like he's fucking up all the tricks it's really important to me that it be amazing and i want to fool magicians you know i, I my act is not designed to just just to pass you know like uh, <laughs> it, i go i go to the extra i go the extra lengths necessary to really make it uh, astonishing and do the ideas start with, how do the ideas
0: start? Is it you encounter a trick, you encounter, you just have the idea. Um, what, what does the creative
1: process look like for a trick that goes into that show? It kind of depends. Some Some tricks are directly inspired by other people's versions of them. I have a version of a John Lovick trick in my show that is a version of a John Cornelius trick. And i've taken it in it's like a i've pushed it even away from simplified what those guys were doing i I and it's directly taken from john Lovick's, which it was directly taken from john cornelius uh and then there's other ones where it's a prop that i think has potential i've never seen anybody do something like fully fully get the juice out of that prop and then sometimes i just want i have like a stage picture in mind And I want to have a certain dynamic on stage. Magic is very unique from comedy, from anything, in that you get to have (laughs) co-stars. You know, you get to (laughs) be on stage. And I heard somebody say, damn, it was somebody really good too. And I, maybe it was Avner the Eccentric. Let's say it was Avner the Eccentric. (laughs) He said uh, that in dancing, that in dancing, Uh, When it's just one performer, even if it's the most skilled performer in the world, a performance with one dancer is really just an exhibition of skill. Whereas as soon as you have two dancers, it becomes about that relationship and and you're emotionally engaged. And most magicians do not take advantage of that incredibly fertile dynamic or like the the possibilities for a two-person relationship. That's every Punch and Judy show on the Muppets. and It's like... (laughs) For, for whatever reason, most magicians seem to like put, treat that person as a, as a as like a broomstick with arms. But you can mine incredible comedy and, and drama out of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speaking of drama, yeah, uh, you can really you can really create dynamic situations, dramatic situations when you have other people on stage with you, and if you treat them with respect, and they become on equal footing with you as performers. You're just kind of guiding this thing. It becomes a lot like improv, except the, you really don't know what the other people are going to do. Yeah,
0: and uh, I know we're rocketing around. Um, you you wrote for Magic Magazine. You got to interview Dick Cavett. You wrote some cover stories. Um, you had a column, Brain Dropping. So there was there was always writing. Um, and and when you're working in advertising, you were working in writing. Um, but you took a big leap into uh, children's books. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came about and uh, and where that's led you.
1: I mean, it seems like a bigger leap in retrospect because the first the first three books I did were not that big of a deal. And also until like the eighth book, I had a day job. So I was just kind of doing that in my spare time. The first one I did on a lark, because a friend introduced me to an illustrator that wanted to do picture books, and I was like, hey, I could write a picture book. And that was the one I wrote. There it is, those darn squirrels. And he illustrated it. Actually, he just he presented it to uh, a publishing company and they decided to make it. There he is. That's Dan Salmary. And if it wasn't for Dan, I wouldn't be in picture books that that first book, those darn squirrels won a couple awards and we were encouraged to do more books. And then uh, the, you know, the, uh, the classic story, they didn't want to buy those. They didn't want to buy dragons love tacos because it was too weird. So we took it to some <laughs> other publishing house and they, they published it and it's become our most popular book.
0: And is there where where does the inspiration come from? I've noticed there's a food theme for sure. There's tacos. There's a, it's got, this got an international. There's yeah. pizza involved. Uh-huh. Uh, is there is there uh, does that connect back to your old delivery days,
1: <laughs> or is it just something that everybody has in common? I recently reread Alice in Wonderland, and one of the things that struck me about it was how much it's about eating and drinking things. It, it, it's people are always eating and drinking, and I, I it's a universal pleasure. Every every culture, every age, unless you have some serious gastrointestinal problems, <laughs> eating is great. And eating delicious things is fun. And so it's something we can all relate to. So that's probably-
0: you do have intense uh, digestive problems. It leads to farting, which I feel like also is a very popular children's book milieu. Yeah.
1: Farts are funny, definitely. And do you find
0: like the process of creating a children's book or coming up with the concept or writing it, is there a lot of overlap- when you're creating magic or consulting with other magicians, or are they very separate processes in your mind?
1: The, the closest analogy for writing a picture book for me is is like writing a song in that it's not that long, but you could work on it for years, and it's just never good. Or sometimes it comes to you in the shower, and it's all finished. Uh, the process of working on magic for other people is like something I would, I it's it's so fun. I love doing that. My friends call me up. They go, hey, what if I did this or what if I'm doing? I mean, that's the best way to spend my day is thinking how some great magician can do something fantastic.
0: And is the process different with each magician or is there sort of a similar way that you will approach it?
1: Well, like any consulting job, whatever it is, you sort of whoever's whoever's show it is or company it is or project it is you you sort of want to follow their energy and do things how they do it like some people work very differently than others and some people really want to mull things over and see a million different options and other people they hear it they go they they do it right away so it really depends on who you're working with
0: And while we're talking about the creative process, because I found an interview where you talked about your creative process and I'd love to get into it more um, because you mentioned one thing which is just kind of playing around, giving yourself the freedom to toy with something without really knowing where it's going to go. Is that, uh, can can you talk a little bit more about that and sort of, uh, you can also talk on about going on walks and sort of that, the idea of freeing yourself and giving yourself the room to be inspired.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's a pretty, universally accepted piece of advice that the more curious you are the more creative you will become and if you're not and and, and, and that involves sometimes seemingly wasting time or, or pondering or uh, cloud gazing or whatever it is just following whatever that spark of interest is in that moment and then it may wind up applying to whatever you're working on or maybe it doesn't but i don't know it's it's to be honest that's like i think if you put if you squeeze too hard yeah then, then it's no good it's no good if you put if, you, if you're too harsh on yourself then you will become too scared to fail and in the process afraid to try anything so the more of a playful attitude you can take a good example is sometimes I go and and give talks about the books where there's kids and adults in attendance, and I'll say things like, uh, you know, who likes to or or who likes to write, right? Oh yeah, this is this was a mad madness here. I'll say <laughs> who likes to write, uh, or who has a question, or, or anything, just uh, uh, soliciting a, a response from the audience. And the younger kids, their hands go up right away. And then as you get towards the back of the room, a little bit older kids, the hands are more sporadic. And then when you get to the teachers in the back, they're not raising their hands. And there's something that happens along the way where somebody is either telling you you're not good at something, or what I think is more often the case, you see somebody else being celebrated for their skill in something, and you aren't getting that same sort of adulation, and you decide, I'm not good at writing, or I'm not good at drawing, and You convince yourself of that and because you're sure it's true, it becomes true. So that's, I don't know whose fault that is. It certainly (laughs) drives me crazy every time I go, I visit a school and there's something called the Gifted and Talented Program. Yeah. It's like, how are the kids, how are the other kids supposed to take that? Are you in the Gifted (laughs) and Talented Program? No. Yeah, my
0: school, they used to, they would come into the classroom and say, oh, all people in the Talented Program, they, like they would have a special time for that. And so they would take them out of the class to a secret other room. Yeah. Um, where we would, I mean, I, where I can't imagine, I, I never thought of it from the other side of like, you're leaving these other kids behind. That's right. And they're wondering like, wait a
1: second, why are we not special? Like what, what do we That's have to right. do to get this special secret time? We had, we had the same thing, but there was code, it was dimensions. Mm. And that's as simple as, it's as simple as that. You know, it's, it's how I tell Terry every year, they got to name the classes at Tannen's camp instead of intermediate beginner advanced. It's like blue, green, yellow, and then nobody can be mad. They're in the green <laughs> class. You think they should be in the blue class. More I tannins.
0: remember always working so hard to get into the advanced class uh, for close up. And then when I finally got there, it's like, I think you learn more tricks in intermediate. I think I might have uh, no jumped ahead a little too fast. No question. Yeah. Uh, and, and while we're talking about play, um, you're also working with uh, Art of Play. Uh, I know you guys just put a great magazine out, Tangram. Um, yeah. And you've been helping them source really fun toys and illusions. There we go. I'll put the website up. Uh, how did you end up uh, becoming a part of that?
1: And, wh- and, what, and what does that job consist of? Uh, so my official, this is one of my favorites. This is all done with a ballpoint pen. That's all awesome. That's you
0: know what? When I worked at Mad Magazine, Mort Drucker, one of the famous usual gang of idiots, he handed in all of his drawings with. They were just blue ballpoint pen. But when they got transferred to black and white, um, they they looked. You couldn't you couldn't really tell they were pen. And so a lot of the old Mad uh, TV and movie parodies were just straight ballpoint pen on white cardboard. And you don't really notice until you see the original ones because they had the files of all the original art he had sent in, and it was cool. just him on scrap white cardboard setting in caricatures.
1: This way, this way. Yeah, this this magazine or this journal will be biannual. This is the first issue. There's a special puzzle adventure hidden inside of it. Uh, and it was it's just cool to be a part of this whole project. The guy Alex Hansford that did the neat review put that together with Dan and Dave and I, and it's just it turned out really well. I'm excited how it turned out. We're gonna do that every six months, and it's focusing on the intersection between. Beauty and wonder. Ooh. So, see different artists and sculptors and performers and mathematicians, scientists. It's even just working on issue two now. It's going to be it's it's really cool.
0: And you've oh. you've developed your own uh, tricks for for uh, or, or illusions uh, and objects. Uh, we have this bonus chocolate. Yeah. Um, we have uh, the less more bowls. Yeah. Uh, this salt and pepper shaker set. These cigars, oh. which are amazing. Yeah. Do you set out to create these things? Or is this one of the things, as you come up with an idea, you kind of call uh, Dan and Dave up at, at at
1: Art of Play and go, do you want to try this thing? Uh, uh, Somewhere in the middle, I guess. I the, the reason, so you asked, how did I get involved with Dan and Dave? I was a fan of Dan and Dave since I was a kid. We're, we're the same age, or very close to the same age. And I remember they performed at the first Magic Live, and I was just blown away. I could, And so I knew of them, and I knew of Art of Play, or I knew of, dan and dave's brand and then they started art of play and two years later i had quit my day job and i had all these ideas for let's call them sculptural illusions like physical objects that do something funky and i wanted to make them but i wasn't really i didn't have any experience with manufacturing or or production so i called up dan and dave to pick their brain and what was supposed to be maybe a 15-minute phone call turned into like a two and a half hour phone call and (laughs) we just basically really hit it off we're really great friends the three of us have traveled all over the world together and my title with the company is uh director of puzzles and games so i look for things that other people have made that i think are amazing that we should carry i help figure out ways to take something that exists and make it maybe more mysterious and more exciting in some way. And I work to take original ideas and make them real uh, (laughs) and take them out of my brain and into the real world, which is to be honest, the most difficult and frustrating part of the whole process.
0: Well, I wanna get more into this. I've brought along your first surprise guest, uh, Dan Buck, everybody. Coming to us from uh, from Iowa, I think. Is it Iowa? No, <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> One of the eyes. Very somewhere close. in the middle. Boise, <laughs> Idaho. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> they call <laughs> me Two-Try yeah. Harry. That's what they call me in the biz.
1: Look how look how much beautiful natural light you have in your home. It's not always like this. <laughs> <laughs> we have like a
0: magic hour.
2: Yeah, seriously. Yeah um well what's up thanks for having me on
0: <laughs> yeah i i appreciate you so much joining i adam alluded to this a little bit but tell us a little bit about these japan trips are they mostly fun are they mostly business is it a combination of the two
2: um <laughs> uh, makes me sad to talk about this i know it's all fun <laughs>
0: remember as travel
2: as, as soon as so. we can like i think the day of we'll probably fly to japan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but yeah we've Adam said we've traveled all over, and we've taken many excursions to Japan specifically. It's, it is seriously our favorite place in the world. Like I would move there in a second if I could. But um, we roam around and eat delicious ramen and have incredible sushi. And then every once in a while, we'll find a little hole in the wall shop that sells really unique gems of puzzles and amusements. And we'll try to talk to the owner or the shopkeep in our terrible Japanese uh, <laughs> <laughs> and make friends with them. And we we have done that. And um, with that, we've been able to bring over a lot of really cool exclusive items to the US on Art of Play.
0: Uh, and actually, you sent me a video of the chocolate, which is pretty new, so oh, yeah. I thought I thought I would share the bonus chocolate so you guys can see what actually happens once you open it. So I'm gonna play that right now. Walk, uh, walk me through like what how long does that take to go from idea to having that chocolate bar in your hand
2: oh <laughs> I, I swear every one of adam's ideas is a problem <laughs>
1: it's, true. It, it's because you know people are used to making chocolate bars or ashtrays or salt shakers or uh bowls but when they need to be a specific thing, and, and this is why you gotta value people like Todd Lassen or uh, any of these guys, like John Gaughan, or people that make magic tricks specifically, because they understand that the smallest change makes an enormous difference. And when you're trying to create an illusion, which is what all these things are trying to do, as you know with any magic trick, like the slightest hint of method or the slightest crack in that facade, and the whole illusion is destroyed. So making, trying to get somebody who's not used to making magic tricks, make something that's supposed to do a magic trick is really sometimes extremely difficult. And yeah. Dan,
0: what do you think it is about Adam that makes him the perfect guy to, to do all this stuff?
2: I mean, meeting Adam, I mean, and talking to Adam early on, it was very apparent that, you know, Adam thought like Dave and I were constantly thinking of probably the dumbest ideas that exist <laughs> every once in a while <laughs> there's there's a good one there's a gem in there and um, it's that willingness to try to make it happen and not just you know push it to the side and, and move on with you know your, your day to day-to-day life.
0: That's my favorite thing is I think every every good comedy idea starts with something very dumb. There's, not, yeah. there's nothing i, I like more uh, the, my favorite thing to hear in a writing room or when i'm working on something is this is really dumb but but and then they share the idea and that's usually where something insane comes
1: yeah, yeah i true. mean there's like three or four things sitting around me right now that are that don't work quite yet <laughs> eventually eventually yeah. a couple of years from now whats
0: what's the ratio of ideas tried to ideas that make it
1: it's rare that we'll get we'll like put something into production because it's such a pain in the ass to get something made and and you got to make the investment to pay to get it made. It's pretty rare we make something and then it sucks. I would say I, one of the great things about Dan and Dave is that I think they have like extremely good taste and both visually and just like stylistically. So it's rare that we will move something forward and then it's kind of sucks by the end. But I will say that it takes us a long time. <laughs> to make
2: something, <laughs> like Quantos Peros, for example. Um, like, how do you make a, an extremely detailed hand-painted cigar ashtray? Like, right. Who, who's, who's gonna make it, first of all? <laughs> okay, yeah, who's gonna make it and who's gonna mass produce it to you know some extent? It's not mass produced, there's only a couple hundred of them, but still, an artisan has to actually make these by hand and paint them. Where do you find that person?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it is different. Like, even with Quantos Puros, the original idea was to do a run of 125. We only wound up with 88 because of COVID. And so now there's 88 of these things that exist. But even if you find somebody that can make the thing, whatever it is, making one is a guy in his, in his, in his basement or in his, in his uh, garage. And there's a lot of guys you can find that will make something very strange for you, but they can't make a hundred. They can't make 500. They can't make 2,500. Yeah.
2: We're, we're in that weird middle ground of um, one
1: or mass produced. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of people out there that make a few. <laughs> right. Cause we don't make a hundred thousand of anything. Yeah. And so to get, to get those, Factories and those kinds of services where they take you by the hand and you just show them a photo and then they come back with a prototype a couple of weeks later. We're just not in that in that category yet.
0: <laughs> well, we have a, a couple more surprise guests to get to. Uh, but Dan, before we let you go, first of all, thank you so much for joining. And you can find sure. all those items that we talked about at artofplay.com. Uh and oh, there's some the cabinet cabinetarium, did I pronounce it correctly. That's right. <laughs> Uh, There's a bunch of great decks of cards available. Um, uh, Dan, do you have anything else you'd like to share with us uh, about working with Adam or playing with Adam?
2: That's another story. (laughs) 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 We're going to talk about that. Uh, What's the rating on this podcast?
0: (laughs) I think we blew it. I think we blew it uh, when Adam said the F-bomb, and I think the first or second response. I I I (laughs) am rating on
2: a podcast with Adam because I know I'm not going to be the only one that swears. (laughs) But no, Adam's great, and it's always a pleasure hanging out and being around him.
0: Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Check out artofplay.com, and uh, good luck in uh, in Idaho.
2: Thank you so much. Nice
0: chatting with you, Harrison. Hope i see you soon. See you tomorrow. Uh, hey, we were talking. Are what? we not supposed to curse? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's totally fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we're going to put the explicit moniker on it in the iTunes store. So people will
1: know. Really? How many F-bombs do you have to use to get the explicit or then once you use, used oh, it? I don't know. I think for me, I always, if we have even one, I just put it on just in case. No but, one else has cursed except for me.
0: Oh no, we've had, we've had some, I mean, we've had Penn and
1: amazing Jonathan and we've had, okay. I definitely can, hit that. It's totally fine. It. I can turn off the cursing especially if there's kids, you know, like I can just like, I don't even have to think about it. Just I don't curse anymore. But when I am not, when I don't have that filter on, I curse all the time.
0: I think that's the reason. I, I, stu- I studied with a psych professor who did a white polar bear study. And he said, don't think of a white polar bear. Just whatever you don't think of a white polar bear. If you do hit this little bell. And so yep. they had like a sort of count of how often this person thought of a white polar bear. And people who are told don't think of a white polar bear are very good at not thinking about a white polar bear. But the second you tell them that they can think about anything they want, all they think about is a white polar bear. Uh, so I think it's like that with cursing. If you're like, I can't, I think about anything but those words. The second somebody's like, do whatever you want. I think that wall comes down. It just floods in.
1: Yeah. It's
0: like it's White just, Walkers in Game of Thrones. The
1: best, the best words are the curse words.
0: They're very, people always ask why the F-bomb is so funny and has a. Hard, it's so rhythmic oh. It has
1: great hard consonants in It, it sounds like an explosion, fuck. You know, it's like, Fantastic. it's so good. My actual, my personal favorite variant though is fucker. That's a good one. I really like, yeah, I really like fucker.
0: By the way, we, we, we briefly alluded to shaving beards and, and beards and stuff. Um, one of the things that I shaved down is I did the Chuck Todd, which is where you just take the cheeks out Like and a you goatee. just sort of have the middle section. Yeah. Goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I have an example of that. Um, there's an example of the, just the middle <laughs> section. Uh, and uh, I have a better example of a, of a more distinguished beard in Gabe. Hurry, how are you doing? That's that's a full grown beard now with a little white in it. I think yeah. that's I know, far right
3: more for the lack up top. Yeah,
1: yeah really? remember that goes goatee days. That's right. Adam, it looks good when like you're
0: smiling, hair. it looks good when you're making whatever that face is. <laughs>
1: Delete those
3: things off of Facebook.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is I forgot. I basically have neglected my Facebook page for so long that it's become borderline incriminating.
3: (laughs) For me, for me, yeah, those are on my page, pal.
1: (laughs) Well,
0: Gabe, you're you're in Chicago. Adam moved out there after college. How did you uh, end up meeting Adam? And and, uh, uh, yeah, tell us about that story.
3: Uh, totally unromantic. I think Kostya Kimlot just called me up and said, my buddy's moving to Chicago. He likes magic tricks. You should meet him. I think you guys would get along. And, uh, and so I carried him over the threshold into his apartment in Chicago. And I
0: heard he had lots of stuff. It was very, he was a pain to move. He had so many things.
3: Yes, I, I helped him. Yes. True friendship born out of strapping a mattress to the roof of a Ford Taurus and moving him to his next apartment in Chicago. At that, the,
1: at that was a time in my life where the entire move was accomplished in a Ford Taurus in one trip.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pardon me. I'm just crying at the thought. It's just a tender moment here.
0: Uh. <laughs> and by the way, uh, Gabe runs Potter Auctions, Potter and Potter. Uh you should definitely check them out as well. It's PotterAuctions.com. Uh you have one coming up, right?
3: We always have one coming up. Uh we just finished one on Saturday. Uh our schedule's usually you know one or two auctions a month. We've got a big, big magic sale at the end of uh February. Yeah.
1: I love Gabe's auctions. Looking through his catalogs are is one of my favorites, uh like just weekend activities just fantasizing about owning all these things right. and i actually did i actually did bid and win a couple things in the crooked gambling auction which is pretty fun Congrats. it's very exciting if you never if you never bid in an auction before or even pretended like you were going to bid and just watched it it's very exciting it's, it's thrilling we
3: we're streaming them live not quite as capably as harrison you know and i don't do as many jokes about jews when i'm like running the auction <laughs> You try, should
0: try it. it. I don't know. It could help.
3: Know I mean, your audience, but I'm trying to keep it engaging, and yeah. So it's a it's a you can't have people in the room, right? So we've been we've been streaming it, and uh, and people stay tuned. Some some fools stay tuned like eight nine hours. I mean the whole day.
1: Yeah. It's so it's sort of soothing. I don't know. And it's, it's, it is, like I said, it's exciting, even if it's a vicarious thrill that you see something is going for way, way over the estimate, or if somebody got it for way, way under the estimate and sort of stole it from Gabe, that always makes me feel excited too. Well, yes. And Adam,
3: when Adam lived in Chicago, he would occasionally help us out, you know, uh, calling people on the phone and, you know, things of that nature. So uh, he, he only lived maybe three, four blocks away from me.
0: Once in a while, when I, when I, when you could tour in front of people, I would get called into like a country club or a temple and they would always ask you to stick around and lead the auction after your set. Uh, So yelling, don't be a bunch of Jews to a Jewish fundraiser at a temple. Sometimes helps, once in a while. Uh, But the best advice I ever got about auctioning, Rob Zabrecki is a professional auctioneer. He's fantastic.
3: Absolutely.
0: Uh, Did Uh, you actually use that line or no? I did actually use that
3: line. (laughs) I (laughs) I wouldn't recommend
0: it. I think it was within the context of my, they had seen me perform, so they knew I was a comedic character.
3: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Right. I think I also
0: tried to sell a bunch of food.
1: Anti-Semitism. What's that? Yeah. I said it's tongue in cheek anti-Semitism. Right. Right. Uh
0: I also I think I tried to sell a bunch of food. It was like a catering as this would go great at a Shiva. If you have a Shiva you think might be upcoming, this could be a great investment. Wow. And people bid. It did it did affect the bidding.
3: We are hiring Harrison, just not you.
0: Fair, fair, fair. that's fair. That's, that's actually probably a very good business decision. Um, Gabe, uh, you've known Adam since he was basically right out of college. 15 um, years
3: old, since he was 15 years
0: old. That's right. Do you have any uh, fun stories that you can share publicly on air?
3: Uh, I thought about that for a long time and so far I haven't come up with one. Um, good stories that I could share publicly. He has a lovely partner, so I won't be sharing any of those stories. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just trying to think. I mean, I, I don't have like a oh, did, you know, this great. I mean, I have lots of great stories about. We were in Las Vegas. We were in a guy's living room in Colon, Michigan, who happens to be watching this right now and just posted it on Facebook. We were, you know, uh, what what is what is culturally appropriate at this moment, Mister Reuben? What, what what can I what can I share? Just a little left, Gabe. What's that? So there's so little left. <laughs> Decorum flew out the window. Um,
1: you know, that, that's a good question. I mean, you, you I can think of... I think you saw the first public stage performance of Mick Napier and Jennifer Wrestling doing a mind-reading act.
3: That's true. Um, I was the guy in the back of the room watching Adam doing all of that improv and just being like, boo... Boo, this is not funny. Boo. Um, we, got
1: you a couple, we got you a couple times with some of the written shows. You know,
3: a good story would be you driving to Abbott's Get Together with my ex wife.
1: You should tell that story. The, the, with the, the Amish. Amish thing? I don't know if this is funny yeah. to anyone but us, but we were driving up to Colon, Michigan. This is with Gabe's ex wife, his daughter, or her daughter, and her daughter's friend, and an Amish. The, um, girl, the girls
3: are like twelve years old, thirteen. Yeah, years old,
1: something yeah, like that. they're preteens, it. and they're giggling in the back and just doing. And uh, this Amish man in a carriage and buggy passes by, horse-drawn carriage, clock, 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 clock. And this this little girl she rolled rolls the window, sticks her right head on, goes, uh, "Top of the morning, governor." <laughs> 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 right. And I was just like, how many wires had to be crossed culturally for you to think that's what you should yell at this particular person? It was funny to me. That's what I thought it was, as a, ah. not the most uh, universally humorous anecdote.
0: Yes. Of, of the, No, I liked it. Uh, but of of the shows that you saw Adam do, did you get to witness Dr. Amazing?
3: I did. I did, absolutely. Uh, was that the one I liked, Adam?
1: You liked Scientology the musical the The Scientology (laughs) one was much better.
0: Yes, yes, yes. The reviews for Dr. Amazing, though, were amazing. Uh, Time Out Magazine called it the best thing to do in Chicago while high. And the Loyola Phoenix said, if sex, Nazis, and provocative swimwear, superhero action, and werewolves are your interest, then Dr. Amazing, Your Country Needs You is the perfect play for a Thursday night.
1: Yes, we were running on Thursday, the hottest night of the week. Wow. And... We did. We had. We started gathering a cult following to the point where most of the people that were originally in the show got sick of doing it and just sort of cycled out. Um, but most of your those. Poster, you showed
0: pretty- us your poster, and I remember loving it. Um, and you already had a knack for advertising because everybody who published a review of Doctor Amazing had to use the word amazing. That's right. So your poster just had a series of quote amazing from every newspaper that wrote about you.
1: Yes. It also featured a, a moon, ba- a, a space station on the moon that was shaped like a swastika uh we I mean, we had i don't know we got a good following we had like good word of mouth for that show and it ran for over a year in this little comedy theater and people kept showing up and we got really good crowds and connor o'malley was in that show who's hilarious if you've never seen his videos uh sam weiner um yeah it was that was a fun show that was a really fun show No magic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was waiting for Gabe to weigh in. Gabe, uh, we have so many surprise guests to get to, but there, is there any, any other like, stories?
1: I'm like- Gabe, Gabe, uh, Gabe is like, absolutely. I'm uh, pleading the fifth on that show. The one you, should know, is, you should know that Gabe's, Gabe's level of enjoyment for any theatrical experience, the threshold, very high to hit that bell of satisfaction.
3: Didn't you do some version of what would become the basement magic trick show at the Annoyance?
1: I think it was pretty embryonic version. Yeah, I was still using a straight jacket at that time. I don't know. Had I switched to the ropes for the rope escape? Uh, I, think I, was still doing a I remember jacket. the trick with the film canister. I remember. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I remember.
3: Like it was all kind of the building blocks of
1: that. Yeah, there were elements of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there were definitely elements of that. I I mean I, I was uh, I didn't really tell anybody I did magic when I first showed up at the annoyance and then. I eventually found out that Mick loved magic. And then all of a sudden we would talk about magic all the time. And we still talk about magic. Like he'll text me about stuff he's working on. He loves, he loves card tricks so much. Took lessons
3: from Bill Malone. Didn't he? Yeah. He
1: took lessons from Bill Malone and he's, he's helped Derek Hughes with some stuff. And uh, he really encouraged me to like do more magic. And when I came back through to do the Chicago magic lounge, what I guess it was about a year ago now, maybe it was more than a year. It might've been two years ago. Oh man.
3: Yeah, winter.
0: It's
1: all yeah. Yeah, about a year ago.
0: It was yeah. all part of the before times.
1: Before times. And I, I ran the whole show for Mick at the annoyance, at the new annoyance on Belmont. And he gave me notes. And it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome.
0: Well, Gabe, uh, I, thank you so much for joining us. I, I want to plug uh, potteroptions.com. Uh, there's a new one. So make sure you check it out. There's always a new one. There's always great stuff. It's super, super fun. Gabe, thank you so much for joining. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for your uh, thrilling and electric contributions, Gabe. Thank you. I I I give and I give
3: and then when I can't give any more, I give a little more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so
0: much for joining. If you want to stick around, we're gonna to try to have uh, everybody all at once at the end. Oh, okay, nice.
1: great. All right, we'll we'll check back in with Game in a second. We I spoke miss, about I seeing Game. I he said we used to live four blocks apart. I would see him all the time and just we would just bullshit and hang out. I miss that stuff, especially now.
0: <laughs> i would gonna say I miss hanging in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You like physically meet up with people and like you don't have to worry about getting a virus.
1: You didn't have to make constant eye contact through the screen. You could that's like, right. stop talking for a little bit. It wouldn't be weird.
0: Uh, but we mentioned uh, five and a half tricks, which
1: became six, uh, six tricks in a basement. Um, and then six and a half. I'm constantly challenging myself that's right. <laughs> to raise the bar. At 70
0: years old, you have, a, or 80 years old, you have a retirement performance of 12 no, and a half tricks in
1: a, No in a joke. No, no joke. Like, this is real. A couple of years ago, my partner Tamise was like, what are you doing this for? I was, I was like trying to learn the entire show in Spanish and it was really hard because I didn't speak enough Spanish to do the show. So I basically had to do the whole thing by rote memorization. I had only moved to Spain like three months prior. I was still learning the language and she's like, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> And I, I really, like, I had to sit down and think about it, and I realized that I want to, that, like, the only way I can kind of wrap my head around is that someday I will write a book of all these routines, which are all of my own invention and method, explicitly describing both how they're done, how they're performed, just how I did it. Not, oh, this is how you can do it, but exactly how the show works on a technical and dramatic level, and I want it to be called 10 Good Magic Tricks. <laughs> and so that's the goal just got to get to 10 not just ones that i think are cool but like ones i have done dozens and dozens and dozens of times in front of real people and worked out the kinks like how Cavney's book is is Cavney's book is like yeah i tried it this way then i tried it this way then i tried it this way and here's the best way and i love i just have so much respect for the people that publish things that are actually developed from experience
0: yeah which is why it's hard sometimes when all these tricks come out that are for virtual performances where they said, it's been super tested and you're like, I don't know how, how tested it could have been. Yeah, There was a book that came out three weeks into the pandemic on doing a Zoom show. And that I always thought that was an, an extraordinary uh, accomplishment to be able to figure it all out in three weeks. It... Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know you had people uh, helping with your show and you've helped a lot of people on their shows. Uh, one of those people, uh, one of my best friends, one, uh, one of my favorite people in the universe, I'm sure one of yours as well. Uh, Mr. Noah Levine, everybody. Hey guys. Howdy. Hey buddy. How's it going? By the way, there's been a lot of facial hair talk and I do have some photos of you without one. And I believe Adam had a very, uh, important role in, uh, in this transition. For years. He said, you know, if you
4: grew a beard.
1: Well, because Noah was one of those guys that had to shave every day anyway. And still is, I imagine. And it's just so much effort to be shaving every single day to look clean cut. And then because you start to look sort of like you've given up if you don't shave. Right, but if you, exactly. If you, it, if you make it purposeful, then you've got you you got you've, you get a whole different look going.
4: Yeah, it changed my,
3: Absolutely <laughs> changed my life.
4: Um. So thank you for that. But for many other things, I've been enjoying the conversation so far watching it.
1: Yeah, it's like the laziest version of This Is Your Life. That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. And now, here's this person you talk to very frequently. That's
0: right. Yeah, I think I saw you <laughs> yesterday. There's cool. a lot of surprise guests who I got in touch with, and they're like,
1: I just spoke to Adam. We're like, I'm about to see Adam. <laughs> I'm so starved for social interaction. I'm just, I'm like reaching out to people all the time. Yes. Um. Yeah, well, also probably half of them are in a book club that we meet weekly, so that's been a nice... That's my top tip for quarantine is start a book club with people you like. A long book, preferably. Yeah.
0: This has all been a long con for me to get into the book club. This entire episode was built around me yeah. getting
1: an invitation. Check this your pocket. Week, this week is like a hundred pages in in one week. So and it's all one book, right? It's a book club that has been currently focused on one book. At the moment, if we make it through this whole book, I don't know if we'll continue or not, but we're just trying to make it all the way through greater magic from start to finish. One chapter a week, and we're 19 chapters in.
4: Huh. I thought you were going to say if we finish the book and have to find a, a second book, it's going to be a lot. Yeah, what, <laughs>
1: what, 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 what would even be the second book?
4: I don't know. Maybe we read it backwards or something.
1: They, it yeah. wasn't this
0: opportunity that Greater Magic came out and nobody ever published Greatest Magic.
4: They did World's Greatest Magic. It's close. That's, fair. That's true.
0: Well, Noah, you, I think you told me that you might have you might have seen Adam's show maybe more than anybody else. I know you uh, saw his show and then Adam saw your show. Can you talk about that back and forth?
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: There was this chunk of time,
4: I think, Adam, it was before you were in Barcelona when he had seen more iterations of, of my show at a magic shop and I had seen more iterations of his show. Uh, I think that includes the Spanish version. I've seen a lot of run-throughs of it. And it was really fun because I got to learn a lot, but also as I've looked back on it, I realized the differences in our processes. Um, and with Adam, it's he's one of the most creatively fearless people I know. And it's, you know, the notes that you get are always about, uh, they're always encouraging. They're about emphasizing the magic moment, giving it more time to breathe. Uh, breaking some rules, uh, clarity of, you know, only having a few objects. There's a moment in my show where I drop an F bomb, gets the biggest reaction out of pretty much anything in the whole show. And that came right from Ruben. Um, Shocking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and There's there so many things like that. But then I've also thought about your show and um, I saw the picture before of the fire. And so there's a moment in your show that was at the annoyance right below this insulated ceiling from a long time ago where you threw a giant piece of flash paper <laughs> up and i remember saying maybe maybe a smaller piece of flash paper and then i also remember and and you know this but there there's a part of the show where your hands are tied behind your back and you have duct tape over your mouth and you're on a chair and for years adam wanted to dramatically do a backflip yeah dramatically do a backflip off of the chair and um still do yeah no i know and (laughs) and i know that you've done a backflip now in in life correct yeah but yeah i remember it was one of the few things where i just i knew i was right in counseling (laughs) you do not regularly do a backflip on stage because if you do it 500 times and it's good but one time you mess up you don't get to do it anymore (laughs) And I consider it one of the greatest victories in my life that I I think I convinced you to not
1: do. And in fact, like I I haven't pursued it because I know it worries Noah. So dearly,
4: <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a cop out though. That's like uh, I would do it, but Noah's, Noah's afraid of it.
0: Well, it was no, the, I you know, Noah as a little Jewish angel on your so- shoulder. That's exactly what
1: it is. Absolutely. Well, I found a better solution anyway. Charlie Fry taught me how to like fall off a chair into a somersault, which is actually as dramatic and covers more space and like maybe is better. Yeah. Like a Willy Wonka
0: kind of tumble salt?
1: Exactly like a Willy Wonka. Yeah, except that you, you start on a chair. So one foot is on the back of the chair and the other foot is on the seat of the chair. And you tilt the chair backwards into the somersault. It's no more difficult than tumbling, doing a forward somersault from your feet. But it looks really dramatic.
0: If Noah is the angel on your shoulder, who is the devil on the other shoulder? It's probably McNapier
1: because <laughs> uh, Mick's whole thing is fuck fear and like absolute fearlessness and try anything and I don't know that he, he may also counsel me to avoid doing a backflip with my hands tied behind my back uh, <laughs> but
4: yeah I think I think Adam might be the devil on the shoulder.
1: Elbaum? Yeah you know I will have to ask him about the backflip. Elbaum in life is definitely like if it's a, if it's a life scenario it's probably a Noah Elbaum sort of thing. I assume Elbaum's coming next, the, but the, there is. <laughs> <laughs> but go. But, um, it's not as clear cut then as that.
0: By the way, uh, a huge welcome to Adam Elbaum, our final surprise guest. Uh, Adam also accounts at Magic Camp. He has a great uh, virtual trick, um, Bubble Thought available on Vanishing Ink. It's uh, one of, if not the best. So check it out, vanishinginkmagic.com. Uh, definitely, they sell great things like Bubble Thought, and uh, they also sell a belt where you can attach a Rubik's Cube to, like a like a holster for your Rubik's Cube, so a modern-day chastity belt. Um, but <laughs> I, one of the reasons I'm glad to have all of you on the screen at the same time is uh, Noah was telling me a little bit about um, sort of a life-changing moment at camp that the two Adams helped uh, create.
4: Oh, you're talking about the hair? Yes. So... Uh, uh, yeah, when I was old, older than I should have been, uh, one day, Adam Elbaum sat, I had, my hair was like, not an afro, but it was like a, it, I don't know what it did. It wasn't good. And he, he sat me down he said, listen, I think I need to do your hair. So he sat me down put a whole bunch of product in it. And then he and Ruben sat, it was just the three of us sat me down. Ruben was like, listen, you got to get three pairs of jeans. Cause at the time I only wore cargo shorts because you could fit four decks of cards in each side, um, the little pockets. He said, get jeans, and you need to get eight t-shirts. And within a month of this experience, I had my first girlfriend. So that's their role. <laughs>
0: the real magic.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's
3: um. funny. <laughs> and
0: now, uh, you go way back with uh, Ruben. I'm going to try to use last name so we don't get uh, the double Adam confusion. Um, but what was it like meeting Adam? And uh, can you share some uh, some stories?
3: Uh, sure. I, I have to. I was laughing though because when the whole, when you said that Noah is the Jewish angel on his shoulder, I'm like, oh, that would make me the Jewish devil on his That's shoulder. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> then
0: when you said what the mean, Jewish things, devil is redundant, the... I think I think it's just devil.
3: Right. Whatever it was. But you, then you said it, and then you're like, it's Mick. And I was honestly, my feelings were a little hurt. I was like, sitting well,
1: like, over devil. I was thinking specifically about that moment. And I've talked to Mick a lot about that particular routine. But in life, as I mentioned, with yeah. life decisions, you're definitely the devil, buddy. Thank you. Well, one of
0: the most important decisions that um, you made was leaving the corporate world. You obviously were doing very well on advertising, you were in New York at a prestigious agency. Um, and I believe Albaum was a, you were a major influence in Ruben quitting to go full-time into, uh, being a children's book author and the non non-corpor- corporate non corporate world, right?
3: Uh, well, we used to G-chat and still do. I mean, like Ruben, my wife makes fun of me because it's like, I feel like he's like the ego or superego in my brain where just everything that goes through my head that I don't say out loud, just so it comes out of my brain gets G-chatted to him randomly, uh, <laughs> I guess there's a record of that somewhere, which is probably not good. But uh, pardon? so it's he searchable. Pardon?
1: It's it's a searchable record too.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've searched it actually. Um but uh yeah, he used to we used to G chat all the time and uh and talk all day long and he would you know talk about how he's gotta to go to a meeting and I would say I'm gonna go take a nap and I don't know. Then you eventually wanted to do it, I believe.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think I waited. I I, I can't be the, the guy that's like, leave your day job, take a chance, because I didn't do that really. In in, in truth, I had a very smooth transition. It wasn't a risk at all. I had already had this other thing set up by the time I, I left my steady paycheck.
3: Yeah, but I thought that was good though. I think that was one of the reasons I encouraged you to do it. Yeah.
1: yeah we're, getting, we're getting towards
0: the end. So if you have any questions for Adam, Uh, Adam Rubin, uh, put those in the comments. Um, We'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, I think you're ready for uh, all the comments thus far. Um, We've had a very uh, follicular focused episode uh, and uh, we're gonna continue that trend. Um, The only thing I have in my note is there's a waxing nose hair story. I I know nothing more than that. And uh, I will leave that to uh, the two Adams to take it away.
3: I think it was the the picture you just showed where uh, Ruben and I were on in Orlando uh, visiting uh, Costa and uh, we had some time to kill. I think Costa was doing a show, I don't remember the details. We went to this barber shop uh, to get shaves and there was only one barber and she uh, graciously uh, offered Ruben to go first and he got his shave and Towards the end, we were young lads, as you can you see in the, the
1: hot, It was the first time I'd ever gotten a hot shave, the hot shaving cream, straight razor, the towel and everything. It was pretty, it was extraordinarily relaxing until the last 90 seconds.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to the devil, uh, the Jewish devil on his shoulder, right? <laughs> He, she, she, at the end of it, she says, do you want me to wax your nose hair? I'm a little older than him, and I guess he seeks me for you know, wiser guidance and turned towards me in the chair, and he said, do I? And I said, of course you do. Like, To, me, to be honest with you, I said it thinking he would know that I was joking because clearly you don't want your nose hairs waxed. And he said, okay, sure. And like... As soon as he said that, she was like quick on the draw. She had a popsicle stick with Mac, <laughs> two of them, I think. And she just popped him in his nose. And he's just like, the visual, I should have, I think we have the video somewhere, but he there stands like, and I just start dying laughing. And then he, the, him go through it realizing what he had just done. And there you've reached a point of no return. There's wax on popsicle sticks sticking out of your nose. And he listened to me on this and there's no way out. And uh, she just very... <laughs>
1: no, no, so, she, she, so these popsicle sticks go... I have a vivid memory of this moment for some reason. Uh, these popsicle sticks went, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, halfway up my nose and then she pinches my nose. And so there's two popsicle sticks and they're like touching my brainstem. They're so far up into my face. And she says to me, because and then Adam's dying laughing. I'm laughing. She starts laughing. She doesn't know what the hell's going on. I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. And... Finally, we get it together enough that she's okay. Okay, we're going to take them out. Do you want me to do them one at a time or both at once? And I'm like, both at once. Do them both <laughs> at once. Jesus. So she grabs a hold of these things. She puts her foot on my chest and she like, puts her hand on my face and just rips them out of my skull. And, like pieces of brain are flying out. And they look like two magnets that have been dipped in iron filings. <laughs> Every hair that was in my skull has been removed. And for weeks after that, I would be talking at lunch or something, and boogers would just tumble out of my nose into my lap. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like That's incredible, cobra. and
0: That's I want—I I promise to bring Gabe back. I guess if there, we have a Jewish devil and a Jewish angel, he's like the referee in the middle.
1: What would Gabe be like philosophically? I guess I think I'd be the adjudicator. Speaking <laughs> <if we're sticking laughs> the theme. Uh,
3: Referee, yeah. not not referee, because I'd let you just have at it, I think.
1: I think you're like you're like the um Did you guys do the reading this week or no?
3: No, yeah, <laughs> it's turning
1: into the book club. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been yesterday. Where's Rob? Yeah. Where's Alex? Where's yeah. Ben? <laughs> Harrison um Harrison wants to join the book club. So
0: I'll close my eyes while you vote.
1: It <laughs> yeah. would, would be judgment, I think.
0: Yeah, adjudicator judgment, absolutely.
3: And by for the record, as soon as he said, "Who's the devil on the other shoulder?" I said, and of course, nobody could hear me. El bomb. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. <what> I, <laughs> I mean, there's no,
1: it, there's I no question.
3: I didn't. I didn't have to think about it. I just. But I'm here alone. COVID yeah. quarantine. Nobody could hear me.
1: It's almost set up that way right now on my screen. I guess in this case everybody sees the same thing, but it is sort of like. <laughs> <Close>. <laughs>
0: also, if you do release, sort of, I think the character you do that most uh, is you releasing the devil. This is uh, the infamous Hawk Ferguson. Yeah. I think we all remember the first night we we saw Hawk Ferguson. Um, as we wrap it up, I think this is a pretty good thing of t- uh, talking about the creative process because um, one of the things that I always admired. Um, I was always super nervous at camp and I always tried to, I was like, I'm gonna do the stuff that I've done a million times because I want to <laughs> just do the stuff that I know works at camp. And you almost always were the opposite of like, I had this new idea, I've never done it. And it would almost always kill. So I had a very high level of respect. And uh, one of the, my favorite characters you ever did was, was Hop Ferguson.
1: Yeah. So, person. Um, you know, uh... <laughs> I say about Hawk Ferguson well that was from a but, show Gabe <laughs> has no idea Hawk Ferguson you've probably seen me do Hawk Ferguson in some iterate remember the remember the president in dr amazing you country needs your country needs you that was essentially Hawk Ferguson
3: I've seen video i I, I was not yeah. blessed to be at magic camp but
1: you know, I was just... the, the thing the look I will be the first to tell you magic uh doesn't benefit from a lack of practice or a lack of, of rehearsal or any lack <laughs> of performance, but I feel almost the exact opposite about comedy. Um, and most of the tricks that I do, not all, but most of the tricks that I try at camp for the very first time, you know, the method of the trick is, is such that I'm not so worried about, uh, messing it up that with, with whatever modicum of, uh, technical skill I have, I will, I will, I'm sure I can, I can pull it off. Whereas I feel absolutely the opposite when it comes to like the stuff I'm doing in six and a half magic tricks in a basement soon to be seven uh, magic tricks in a basement that, and Noah will tell you, like I rehearse a lot. Everything is scripted to the word. Every moment is scripted to the, from
4: pocket management is written out. Everything. What's that? The pocket management is written out.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's, I mean, I'm meticulous about it, but with comedy, like, you know, I come from an improv comedy background and if you put me on stage with nothing to say and give me a microphone, I, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. And so if I have oh a magic trick that I know is going to like, I mean, I'm, we're talking hippity hop rabbits here, or like Sponge Balls or something in the, in the character of, of, of Hawk Ferguson, I know it's going to, there's going to be a payoff. And so that just gives you all this room to play, knowing that something at the end surprising is going to happen. And that's a really fun, that's a really fun place to be on stage, knowing you've got an ending. Which is is uh, and and then you don't know ha- what's going to happen to get there.
0: It's funny because as I was doing the research, I read uh, a review and they described President Savage. Uh, as soon as I saw the description of President Savage, I was like, "I would I would bet money that there's a uh, there's some hot Ferguson DNA that's shared." No question.
1: I, you know, when you're doing improv for long enough, you you just kind of accidentally discover what people think is funny on you as a performer and then you lean into that really way too hard for a while. And then you start to be really reticent to do it and just kind of brain. And for me, it's screaming. People think it's funny when I'm screaming on stage and being super, super aggressive. And in my show, it's scripted in there. It really only happens at the very, very end that it's like, I have, I earned that. Um, and it happens like little bursts, but, but yeah, that is, uh, that is kind of like a sweet spot for whatever reason. And that's all Hawk Ferguson is screaming.
0: I know nothing what you talk about about screaming for laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> That's a foreign concept to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we as we wind down, um, uh, Gabe, Adam, and Noah, I'll go around the horn. If there's anything else you guys want to share, um, I have a couple of questions in the chat that we'll get to. Um, but we'll start with uh, let's start with Gabe. First one in, first one out.
3: What what am I supposed to say about Adam?
0: Oh, anything else? Uh, anything else that you'd like, or or nothing if you if you so choose. I feel like I'm
3: at a bar mitzvah right now. Like I have to say something nice about him. How about that? If we were,
0: if we were all at a bar mitzvah, how, what would this table be? Are we the friend's table? Are we the 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 uh, the loose ones? We're at the end of putting everybody else to tables. How would you describe this bar mitzvah table?
3: Wow. wow. Well, I think I'm the only person on this call that's not a Jew. So <laughs> I guess it would be the friend's table.
0: I like it. Uh, let's go to, uh, to Noah. Uh,
4: the last thing I just thought of is I think Adam has the greatest straight face, like uh, not laughing, so he can just say the most ridiculous things and have the most serious expression on his face, like nobody I've ever met, and I
3: love it.
1: Thanks, Noah. That, that means fantastic. a lot.
3: Uh, and Elbaum. Um. I guess the only thing I wrote down while you guys were talking that I remembered was uh, when I went out to uh, Wash U, he had this great idea that i never hear talked about, was uh, he planted, like, fake pigeons on, like, places where pigeons hang out all over (laughs) campus. So it was, like, a perfect illusion. Because (laughs) pigeons, when you actually, when he pointed them out, they didn't really look, they weren't well-crafted or anything. But in the illusion of pigeons sitting on the same thing next to it, it was incredible, and it was it was one of your first
1: uh, Art of Play products. That was not me. That was you. It was I, my friend Mike. I helped him install them, but that was my friend Mike Majestic. Oh, I it was your idea. All right. Well, I always liked that idea. <laughs> I made fake people that were up in the trees. Maybe that's where you got. Oh, I do remember that as well. Was yeah. that,
0: did that terrify people?
1: That I didn't realize how much it would terrify people because they were dressed as businessmen and they all had like briefcases and stuff and they were just up in trees all around campus. And in the spring, it was kind of like, what's happening up there? And then in the winter, it got real creepy. All the leaves fell and you're like, why are these guys in these trees? Some of them don't have heads. Can I, can I revise?
0: Yeah, yeah, get in there.
1: I'm going to revise my answer to say
3: Adam is usually either the most curious or enthusiastic guy in the room. And I think that's why I like hanging around with him so much.
0: That's uh, that I couldn't, couldn't have said it better. That's perfect.
1: I want to apologize for putting you all in this weird position of forced compliments, and I know that was going to be a part of it. We'll no, I appreciate
0: you guys so much being here. Uh, That's Gabe,
1: that, uh, Noah, you, you, uh, you haven't got album, uh, you haven't gone yet. What's your forced compliment? I <laughs> was thinking about it actually in the shower today. I was
3: thinking about it. You were uh, thinking about us in the shower. I was thinking about Reuben in the shower, about this call, and I was like, actually, something people don't realize about Reuben, which it's not that it surprises me about him, it surprises me, is how, like, nice and charitable he is, like, how much time I hear from him talking about, like, inequality and all this stuff, and he's not just saying it, he just seems... S- sincerely, like, upset by that and is, like, incredibly charitable to a shocking degree, and it's never really talked about, but it is a uh, really inspiring when I hear it.
0: There you go. Now it's on the record. You can't take it back.
3: <laughs> the devil. He just wrote your eulogy. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> it has a uh, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer quality to it.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, um, but guys, thank you so much for joining. You can check out Potter Auctions. Uh, that's Gabe's site, potterauctions.com. Um, all the plots available on Vanishing Inc. Go to vanishinginkmagic.com. And Noah has an incredible virtual show. Uh, when when real life is happening, uh, it's Magic After Hours. Um, but there's Backstage with a Magician. You can get more information and tickets at magicafterhours.com slash virtual. It is awesome. So make sure you check it out. You're going to love it. Um, Noah, Gabe, and Adam Elbaum, thank you so much for joining.
3: Fine. Thanks no, no. for having us. No, bye.
0: All right, and we are almost, almost done. The uh, a question in the chat was, "What's something about Spanish life you'd like to see in America?"
1: Less emphasis on work. <laughs> you know, when you meet somebody here, uh, the first thing you ask is, "What do you do?" And by that, you mean, "What's your job?" And by that, you mean, "What's your status based on your job?" And um, if somebody says, Oh, I don't know. I just, I'm just kind of hanging around. I write, I, or I juggle, or I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Then you, you like think they're a weirdo or some sort of bum or, and you judge them really harshly, but that's so weird that the value we give to people is their position in this corporate structure of what they're like, what the title is before their name or any of that kind of stuff with magicians and performers, I guess you see that a little bit less, but even still it's like, what's the biggest gig you've done? And what's the, it's, it's all, it's this kind of like work-based status that everybody is, is aspiring to and what you've done and what you do is, um, what your job is, is very, very much a part of your identity, if not your entire identity. And I found that to be less true when I was living in Spain.
0: What's the first question they ask in spain
1: where are you from ah uh. <laughs> has its own implications because right. <laughs> it, you know, it has its own like stereotypes and things that go along with it but it's sort of less it's less of a status thing you know it's more of a personality thing like if you're german they make certain things and if you're from this part of spain they assume certain things and if you're american or from the it's so there are certain certainly prejudgments that come along with that and people do want to put you in a bucket so they understand a little bit better who you are so they can wrap their head around what you're like in their imagination. But we're so work obsessed in America to, to a a shocking degree, like the paltry amount of vacation we take, how little time we give to our actual passions, our families, our interests, how completely obsessed people are that they start bragging about how much they've worked as if that's going to make you impressed. wait, they still pay you the same amount of money. If you don't work on the weekends, you know that. Right? So, um, that's definitely the thing that struck me the most. And the final question, the question that I end uh, every
0: interview on, uh, a lot of young performers, uh, and entertainers watch this. Um, what advice do you have for somebody who's just starting out or at the beginning of their career?
1: Um, probably ask the host of the show whether it's okay to curse or not before <laughs> you start. That's the my show. Mom, I told you. <laughs> especially, especially when it's an old friend. I told you're...
0: everybody else, and then I realized as we started, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope on this one."
1: I mean, yeah, it's not like we've had worse conversations in private in the past, right? Um, yeah, make sh- oh right, make stuff that you like. <laughs> Make stuff that you like. That's, that's the best advice I can give to anyone that's young and, and trying to figure out what it is they want to do. Make stuff that you like and don't worry about what anybody else says to you or what they tell you you're supposed to be doing or whether it's good or it's not. If it makes you happy, that means it's good and follow that and keep trying to make that better for you. Uh, because if you try to make things that other people like, or you try to make things that you think other people are going to like in the end, if they don't like it then everyone's disappointed but if you always follow your own your own desire or like fulfill your own sense of, of of what's exciting or what's what's great then you know you'll have one person that's happy in the end and that's you and so make stuff you like that's the best advice i could have for somebody that's you uh, know do they have SYM for IBM
0: Uh, There is a youth program, yeah. And then uh, Lance Burden has the great teen seminar. There you go. Which was virtual last year. And if uh, so, keep your eyes peeled because it might be uh, virtual again this year and uh, is free and amazing. Um, Adam, thank you so much for joining. Follow him on Instagram uh, at underscore the underscore Ruben. Um, Go to your local bookseller and buy his books. If you can't uh, because of the pandemic, order them uh, wherever you get uh, books are sold. Uh, This deck of cards is available at Art of Play. Check those out. Did you design those?
1: No, these are illustrate Each one of these is illustrated by Armando Veve. I just love this deck so much, and it's been a really cool. Look at the King of Hearts. I mean, come on, that's badass. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, each card is it's like his take on a transformation deck.
0: Nice. There we go. Well, uh, Adam, thank you so much. Seriously, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, hopefully, I will uh, talk to you soon. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thanks, Harrison. I appreciate it. I very much enjoyed watching all my friends squirm while trying to think of nice things to say about me. <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> Take care.
0: Uh, Adam Rubin, everybody. That has been uh, episode number 36. I can't believe we're already on 36 of Who Books That. Uh, if you'd like to join the IBM or renew your membership, go to magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. It's every Wednesday at 7 PM Eastern, 4 PM Pacific. Keep your eyes tuned uh, as we announce the guest for next week's episode. Please download the episodes uh, at whobooksthat.com. You can get them on iTunes, get them on Google Play. I think it's even available on Amazon. So check it out. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Harrison Comedy. It's the same on Instagram as well. Thanks so much for watching. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. This has been Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. Who books that with Harrison Greenbaum? I'm singing a theme song. It's definitely a recording of the theme song. Who books that with Harrison Greenbaum?